book of John, chapter number 14. John, chapter number 14. This is a wonderful passage. The promise of the Holy Spirit, the message is entitled, The Comforter Will Come. And there's a reason that we see this title for the Holy Spirit, Comforter, used here in this passage. And we'll come to that as we work our way through this great passage. I don't know if we'll be able to complete the chapter. There's so much here that uh, it'll be uh, just a a, a brief look in a a sense this morning. But uh, with the Lord's help, we will uh, get as far as we can in this great passage where Jesus is promising the fuller or the fullest ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's a promise here, prophetic in nature, that will be fulfilled in the book of Acts that we, right now, as believers, we experience the fulfillment of this promise, of this prophecy, right now. As believers, all those who know Christ as their personal Savior, we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us right now. We are the temple of God because the Holy Spirit indwells us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. That is an incredible thought. It also is convicting. It's also very humbling. And here again, Jesus in that upper room at the Lord's table and the conversation as they're going through this Passover meal and we'll observe the Lord's table tonight and again make reference to the fact that the Lord's table comes out of this Passover meal that Jesus observed with his disciples. And as he's there in this conversation, as we looked at last Sunday, let not your heart be troubled. He's encouraging them. He is calming their fears. He's preparing them. He's taking their thoughts to heaven, to eternity, to all that God has prepared for them, understanding that they are going to go through some challenges there's, a, there's going to be some trials, there's going to be some persecutions, some tribulations along the way, but he has promised to be with them. And yet there seems to be this contradiction. How can he promise to be with them, to prepare a place for them, and yet he physically will go away? So it seems that there's some contradictions here, but of course we understand that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, He will indwell every believer. The Holy Spirit, for a little background, has been active throughout the Bible. In eternity past, the Holy Spirit was involved at creation. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. We know that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. The Trinity. We accept that by faith. Our little peewee brains have a hard time getting our minds around that. And I won't go into all the different illustrations that have been used through the years, all of which fall short. But we understand that the Holy Spirit is eternal. He is God. He is a person. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not feelings and emotion. The Holy Spirit is a person. And He is promised by 
Christ to come, to be our comforter, to be our helper, to indwell everyone who trusts Christ as their Savior, repents of their sin and puts their faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross and resurrection. So we see, first of all, this morning that the Holy Spirit is our helper. He is our helper. We begin in verse 15 where Jesus says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. That is a command, that is a statement, and it is difficult for us, even as believers, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength each and every day. It's difficult to do because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But one of the reasons we need the Holy Spirit, one of the reasons the Holy Spirit has come, and in the context will come, but now has come, one of the reasons we need the Holy Spirit is to obey the commands of God. Because we in our flesh will try to do things on our own, we'll try to go our own way, even as Christians, even as born-again believers, we will try to do things our way. We'll try to take up the, the, the problems and deal with the trials and handle all the troubles of life. We'll try to take them on and handle them on our own, by our own strength. And God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to depend upon him. So the Holy Spirit is our helper, our helper to obey the commands of God. But notice he says in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Our love for the Lord is demonstrated by our obedience to his commands. Our love for Christ is a motive to obey. It should be our primary motive. Knowing that he loved us, he first loved us. We only love him because he first loved us. Knowing all that God has done for us, knowing all that Christ has done for us, should we not depend upon the Holy Spirit to love and to obey God more and better each and every day? We should. This word commands or commandments in verse 15 means the entire word of God. We are to obey all of God's commandments, even the ones that are hard, even the ones that we bristle against, even the ones that convict and that poke and that are hard to apply and hard to live out on a consistent, regular basis. Nevertheless, we are commanded to obey them, and we're to obey them out of love. And we have the Holy Spirit to help us obey Him. See, once we are saved, this love for God should be so deep in our hearts and our souls that even though there is trouble on every side, even though there are sufferings and there are tribulations and there is persecution and there is resistance, even though our love at times will wax and it will wane, just like in a husband-wife relationship, there are times where our love for our spouse, it will be so strong, and then at other times it just seems like it is so weak and it's challenged in, in so many ways. And yet, our choice, our covenant... We have chosen before God to love them, to love that person. And so even though our feelings may not feel like we're in love, we still choose to love. And we continue to love and show and demonstrate that love and 
Sometimes that means we have to ask for forgiveness. We have to change our ways. We have to do things a little differently. We have to talk a little differently. We have to change some of our bad habits. But we continue to love. Well, does God ever cease to love us? No. Does God's love for us ever wax and wane like our love does for our spouse or for people whom we hold dear? God's love doesn't change. God's love doesn't come and go and wax and wane. But we have to work hard at loving God every day with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we must depend upon the Holy Spirit to help us in that love and in that obedience. And part of the way that we grow in that love and in that knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, one of the ways that we deal with that weak flesh that wants to go our way and do things our way, one of the ways we fight that is by remembering all that Christ has done for us. And the Holy Spirit helps us with that. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, and He will guide us into all truth. And we'll talk about that some more. But 2 Corinthians 5, in verse number 14, says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. That word constraineth means compels, motivates us. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. So this love that God has shown to us through His Son, Jesus Christ, and in the giving of His Holy Spirit, this love should motivate us in a return of love and devotion to Him. And as a living sacrifice, as we read in Romans 12, as a living sacrifice, we give ourselves dying to ourselves daily and not being conformed to this world, but allowing God to transform our minds that we may prove what is that perfect and complete will of God. And the Holy Spirit is given to us to help us in our obedience and in our love for the Lord. What does love do? Our love gives us a desire to please a person. I know there's those infatuation days, there's those days in the early romantic stages of our love for the one who would maybe one day become our spouse, or maybe you're in an engagement, or maybe you have a special, a significant other, and there is a joy to that love, that early love. There is something that is especially motivation. Uh, especially motivational. Uh, I remember uh, the roses and the chocolates that I would give Kelly. And I show my love to her in, in other ways besides roses and chocolates. But in those early days when we were dating and we were getting more serious, you know, those roses and those chocolates are, are one of the few ways uh, before uh, you can get married that you can demonstrate your love. And, and there's all those romantic feelings, there's all those expressions of love, but those, those continue. And our love for our spouse, it grows deeper. And there's an increase in our knowledge of our spouse that increases and should deepen and strengthen our love for our spouse. It's not that the roses and the chocolates go away. No, they don't. But the expressions of our love they, they magnify, they multiply. And we've, we've seen it, I think, of romantic relationships, and we see it with young people who many times they don't have a clue about love. No clue. What does a junior high do? 
junior high boy do when he has a crush on a girl? He does silly, immature things to try to get her attention. And I've watched him do it in the hallways of school as a school principal. And some of the silly things that boys will do, they'll show off in some of the dumbest ways to try to get a girl's attention. He wants to do something to let, to let her know that he, he likes her, but he's afraid to let her know that he likes her, so he does these silly show-off kind of things to try to get her attention. And then it's really funny when the girl can't stand the guy and he does something really immature, something really kind of stupid, and then she's just like, he's gross. And then that junior high boy has to work even harder or he just has to give up altogether. I've seen it with, with young ladies who, in their own way, they, they try to, to gain the attention of their knight in shining armor, right? And they just don't have a clue sometimes at 15 or 16 years of age. Uh, sometimes, sometimes they do. Sometimes that leads to uh, a long-term relationship. Many times it's just very superficial and a lot of infatuation. But our love creates within us a desire, a motivation to do things, to say things that please that individual. And true biblical love is choosing to do what is God's best for that individual. And sometimes that means speaking the truth in love with tact, with kindness, but still speaking the truth in in a confronting way, in gentleness and meekness. And sometimes it's just genuinely showing and expressing love in some form of kindness, gift-giving, an act of service, time spent together. Sometimes in a married relationship, that is one of the greatest gifts that we can give each other. We're so busy. We're going and going, ball games and driving here and going there and Sometimes we long for in the busyness of life for those days when we were dating and we didn't have kids and we weren't on such busy schedules and we could just go out to eat. We could just sit out, sit down at the dinner table and just enjoy each other's company. And sometimes in our love for the Lord, we get so busy. We're going here, we're doing this, we got this going on. There's health issues, there's financial pressures, there's job pressures, there's family pressures, there's so much. And our love for God will begin to go away, it'll begin to dissipate. In the commandments that God has given us to obey, they feel like duties. And they feel like drudgeries. And our love for the Lord begins to become shallow becomes weak. We don't choose to obey like we should. We choose to go with our feelings. We chose to go with what is selfish and self-centered instead of moving forward for the Lord and seeking His glory and seeking first His kingdom and being obedient. And oftentimes, just like in our relationship with our spouse, with a, a person here on this earth that we love, We love them, so we do what is right. We obey. We serve. We sacrifice, even when it doesn't feel good. Because we've chosen to love. And we live in a sensual, selfish, self-saturated world, feelings-based Expressive individualism, moral relativism. And if we're not careful, we will try to love God and love the people in our life by 
our feelings only. And relationships become very self-centered. They become very manipulative. And we begin to treat people for what they can do for me instead of seeing people as those whom God has chosen for us to love and to serve. And we begin to mistreat people instead of loving people like we should. And we'll do the same thing in our relationship with God. We'll get bitter. We'll get angry. Our feelings betray us. And we don't like the things that are going on in our life. And our love for God will become shallow and weak. And we will begin to cut corners in our Christian life and then become disobedient. And we want all the blessings of God. We want God to give us all the things that we desire and that we want. But we're not willing to love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and obey him. Even when it's hard, even when our feelings don't feel good. But we've got to make the right choice to obey, to serve the Lord, to love others and to love God the way he commands us to love him. Not out of duty, not out of drudgery, not out of a woe is me, but out of a sincere heart of devotion. And that's what Jesus wants for his disciples. That's what Jesus wants for us. If you love me, keep my commandments. And he knows it's going to be hard. And he says in verse 16, and I will pray the father, then he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. The Holy Spirit helps us to obey. So that we are not like the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2, that was rebuked for having lost its first love, that needed to repent and do the first works. We need the Holy Spirit's help to love God like we should and to obey His commandments. But we also see three other ways in which the Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit understands our weaknesses. So God through the Holy Spirit, helps us when we trust Him, when we depend upon Him, when we allow the Holy Spirit to control us, when we submit our desires, when we submit our will to God, to the Holy Spirit. See, in the Christian life, we really have no excuse to be disobedient because God has given us His abiding presence in the person of the Holy Spirit to assist us. And we just saw in verse 16 this word comforter, a title for the Holy Spirit. This is the word paraclete or parakletos. It means someone called alongside to help. Oh, we need that. There's a loneliness epidemic in our culture today. It's unbelievable with all of the entertainment, with all of the media, We know that there were signs of this before the pandemic, but then when the pandemic hit and the shutdowns, the lockdowns, the loneliness epidemic reached exponential proportions, especially among the elderly. We are made to be relational. Now, not all of us are party animals. I'm not a party animal, but I like being around people and I have to have my limits But there are some people that they don't really like to be around people. 
they have a social meter that is, you know, on a thermometer, it's, it's really low. It's right around that 32 degrees. Some people have a social meter that's up in the 70s, and some of you have social meters that are up in the hundreds. You, uh, you, are, you love just being in a party type or social type atmosphere all the time. Some of us have jobs where we have to deal with people a lot, and some, some of us have jobs where we are in a cubicle and we're happy just to stare at a screen. But even if we are more reclusive, even if we're less social, we still have to have relationships. And one of the ways in which God made us in his image is he made us relational, and he gave us the Holy Spirit in a relationship, personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit. All those relationships in the Trinity, one God and three persons, but all speak of relationships. It's, it's mind-boggling. We need the Holy Spirit to come alongside and to help us. And we see this word comforter because the Holy Spirit comforts. We've seen the Holy Spirit helps us to obey, but the Holy Spirit also comforts. The Holy Spirit comes alongside and, and, and he indwells us. He, he brings the very presence of God, making us the temple of the Holy Spirit in a way that's hard for us to fully comprehend. But this is the very presence of God within us. And we look down in verse 27, part of this comfort that he brings as he indwells us who know Christ as our Savior. Down in verse number 27, this comfort brings peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. What does the world give? give? The world gives a passing pleasure, a temporary solace, a temporary break, a ceasefire. That's all, that's all the world can offer. And all it does is it just brings right back more tribulation, more trouble, more anxiety, more worry, more fear, more doubts, more despondency, more discouragement. But the Holy Spirit comforts. He brings peace. And Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. God wants us to have this peace that comes through the Holy Spirit. We talk about it in Philippians 4 and verse number 7. We're told to be anxious for nothing, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall guard or rule your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse number 15, we also see this ministry of the Holy Spirit in bringing comfort to our lives. Colossians chapter number 3, in verse number 15 where we read here, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body and be ye thankful. God's peace brings unity to the body of Christ. When there is disunity in a church, it's an indication that somebody or somebodies are not living in the control of the Holy Spirit. That there is some measure of grieving or quenching of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit brings peace. Now, are there times of confrontation? Are there times where we provoke one another to love and to good works? Where the, the, the meek, where we, where we uh, confront one another in a spirit of meekness? 
sure. But even that is done in the control of the Holy Spirit. So that it's done with humility and it's done with grace. So that there is a purpose of peace and resolution and reconciliation, not bitterness and strife and division. So we see the Holy Spirit comforts. He comforts by bringing his presence and also bringing peace. But this peace is also in the midst of trial and tribulation, as we read there in verse 7. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There is something about the Holy Spirit's presence, God's presence in the person of the Holy Spirit during times of trial and suffering and tribulation, isn't there? Is, is I, again, I've, I've illustrated it before, but as I think of my dad and his, in his dying of, of cancer, and I, I went to that last appointment with the oncologist, and God had given me a verse that morning in my devotions. And it, it, was, it, was, it was just a, a, a rima from the Lord, from his word, and that verse, I claimed it that day, knowing I was taking my dad to the doctor. And I knew that day the doctor was probably going to give us bad news. And that verse brought peace to my soul as that oncologist came out and said, Mr. Floyd, there's nothing more we can do for you. And we drove home and we stopped at Arby's and got my dad's favorite Jamocha shake. And there was a peace as we went home, as hard as that day was. There was a verse from Scripture and the work of the Holy Spirit. I sensed it in a way that I cannot explain, but we as believers understand. And there was a peace that came from the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit's ministry. He comforts. He is, God has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That is in the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is the person of the Holy Spirit. That is a, a promise from God that he will never leave us nor forsake us in an aspect of the fulfillment of that promise is the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. So we see that he helps us obey, he comforts, and then also he promises. The Holy Spirit promises. The fact that God gave the Holy Spirit to indwell every believer is a promise that Christ will return for us and receive us unto himself, that we will be with him and will spend eternity with him. We read in verse number 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Comfortless is the word that we get orphan from. I will not leave you as an orphan. I will not leave you parentless. I will not leave you comfortless. He's promised with the Holy Spirit indwelling us, he will come again. He has promised right there for the disciples in the upper room that night, for us now, through the inspiration, the preservation of God's word, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Verse 19, yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. That is even a reference to the resurrection. Christ will rise again. He will ascend up in the glory. He will give us the Holy Spirit. He has given us the Holy Spirit. As we look back, having been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, having the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have that promise. Just as he told the disciples that night that the Comforter will come, I will leave you physically, 
There will be the resurrection. He makes reference to that. There will be the ascension into glory. But now the Holy Spirit is that promise. Now in 2 Corinthians 1, in verse 22, the Holy Spirit is referred to as an earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. In Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, He is referred to as the Holy Spirit of promise and the earnest of our inheritance. So the Holy Spirit is given to us as a down payment, an earnest payment, a promise sealed by God that we will be resurrected, that we will receive a resurrected body, that Jesus Christ will come again and we will spend eternity in the presence of God, in the presence of our Savior, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We've all, I shouldn't say all of us, many of us have placed a down payment on a house or a car or on something. Now, I know that the laws in most states are are probably going to require a certain penalty if you renege on that contract, you make that down payment, and then the deal falls through. There's usually some sort of penalty. But the down payment of the Holy Spirit It's not broken. That deal doesn't fall through. Once saved, always saved. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Once we genuinely come to Christ in saving faith, the Holy Spirit is that down payment from God who seals us. That covenant has been entered into. And it is a promise that will be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit is God's promise to us, down payment to us, His seal that we, once saved, are always saved. And we will one day enter into His presence, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And there is the promise of that eternal home in heaven with our Savior. So the Holy Spirit is even Christ's commitment to return for us, as we just read there in verse 19. So we see the Holy Spirit helps us obey, the Holy Spirit comforts, the Holy Spirit promises, but then fourthly, we also see the Holy Spirit teaches. The Holy Spirit teaches. Let's go to verse 17 again. Even the Spirit of truth, we see another title for the Holy Spirit. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And then we drop down to verse 20. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Verse 17, we see the spirit of truth. We see in verses 20 and 21, we see again the keeping of commandments. So God has revealed his commandments in his word. His word, again, is synonymous with that word commandment. So God has revealed in his word what we are to do, how we are to live. But again, the Holy Spirit helps us to obey his commands 
So we need the illumination of the Holy Spirit to help us understand the principles, the promises, the commands, so that we may apply them correctly and live them out in truth for the glory of God. So as the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit is teaching us, instructing us in the truth of the Word of God. Okay, there are some practical applications. First of all, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit will never lead us apart from the Word of God or the will of God. So if something is outside of the will of God, if something is clearly contrary to the Word of God, then we know that the Holy Spirit would not lead us to go against the will of God or lead us to break the commandments of God, to violate the Word of God. So as we're reading the Bible, we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Word of God, to help us understand the truth, to help us apply the truth to our hearts and lives. I'm not saying that we have our devotions in the morning and, or in the evening or whatever time you have them. I'm not saying that we get into our personal devotions and we get into some trance some mind-altering kind of states and hope that the Holy Spirit will come and illuminate the Word of God to us as we empty our minds. That's, that's not what the Bible is, is teaching. That's not how the Holy Spirit works and operates. That's how some people think. Some people think that in order for the Holy Spirit to work, we have to empty our minds, we have to get into almost a trance-like state, and then the Holy Spirit can move and work. no. We read the Bible, we hear the Bible preached, and we hear it taught. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, through His ministry, we begin to understand the truths of the Word of God become real, and we see where that application can be made in our lives. And there's reproof sometimes, and there is correction sometimes. And there's exhortation sometimes, but there's also long-suffering that comes. And we can't just drag our eyes over black and white print pages, living in disobedience, living in some sort of sin, and think that the Holy Spirit is going to lead us in the will of God according to the word of God. We are to love him and keep his commandments. The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. And as we are reading, as we are studying, as we are meditating, as we are hearing the word of God taught and preached, the Holy Spirit helps apply that word to our lives so that when we get into a situation where we have to make a decision, when we are at that moment where our kids are out of line and they just disrespected us, we have the Holy Spirit's power to obey and deal with that. Even though it would take time, even though it means we have to have some tears, and we have to have a period of time where they don't like us. 
It's okay because we love them and we're going to obey the Holy Spirit's prompting to follow through with the necessary discipline so that they might learn, so that they might obey God and fear God. It means that when we have a decision to make, we are cognizant of the truth of the word of God and we're considering what would God have me to do here. It means when that person is spewing and they have a forked tongue and they have inflammatory language and they're pushing all of our buttons because we have let the word of Christ, the spirit control us, we can answer with a soft answer. We can even zip our lips and bite our tongue, even if it means we have to bleed for a while. Because we're going to answer with the control of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is not going to be empowering us to cuss that person out. The Holy Spirit is not going to be empowering us to say, well, my kid will just outgrow it. The Holy Spirit is not going to empower us to cheat or to lie or to have bitterness in our spirit, in our heart against that person. There's applications about the Holy Spirit teaching us that are hard, that are tough. But we want to equate the Holy Spirit with emotion all the time. And if it feels good, feels good, do it. Or if I don't feel like it, I don't do it. And our feelings are not the Holy Spirit. And there are whole churches and entire denominations and religious movements that because they've equated the Holy Spirit with emotion, they're caught up in all kinds of error. Doctrinal error, practical error, pragmatism. And we have to understand that where there is doctrinal error, where there is disobedience, where there is worldliness and immorality, where there is idolatry and self-exaltation and unrepentant sin, then we know the Holy Spirit is not working The Holy Spirit is not controlling, or possibly the Holy Spirit is not even there at all. We go back to 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The unsaved are living by their feelings. The unsaved are living by their intellects, by their knowledge. They're living by their their, their strength, their, their personal fortitude. They're living by their skills, their talents, their abilities, their money-making abilities, whatever it might be. They're depending ultimately on themselves. They don't have the Holy Spirit's discernment. And maybe that's one of the reasons our culture is in such a mess that it's in. And maybe that's one of the reasons why the religious landscape of America is in such a mess. is because there's very little Holy Spirit filling, controlling, And we're too busy doing our own thing, going our own way, and having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, which comes ultimately by the Holy Spirit. To the apostles, specifically, the application would be that he would help them remember his words and his works for, specifically for many of them, for the inspiration of God in Recording scripture in being used of God to write the very God-breathed words of scripture that we have been talking about in our, in our adult Bible study class, which I encourage everybody to come to. And we're having a great time. We had a great discussion again today. 
Uh, we were at our um, Bible study on Purdue campus last Tuesday, and we had a great discussion. I didn't even uh, realize at the time when we started the topic that we were going to be uh, going some of the directions that we did, uh, nor did I even realize at the time how it was going to overlap so much with this morning's message. But we had a wonderful time. We'll probably come back on this Tuesday night and discuss it some more because it was, it was such a good discussion about the work of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit and the prompting of the Holy Spirit and what is Holy Spirit controlling and filling. When we read in Ephesians 5, verse 18, Be not drunk with wine, where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is simply us submitting to the Word of God, letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, so that our desires are the desires that God has placed within us as we have delighted in the Lord, then He will give us the desires of our heart, but our delight is in the Lord. So the desires that are Holy Spirit-led our desires from God to obey God, to do His will, to honor Him, and to glorify His name. So we have to check our desires. As the Holy Spirit teaches us, we have to check our desires. There are things that I desire to do that are not always in God's time, that are not always according to God's will. There are desires that God gives us that He says they are to be kept within a certain framework, a certain design. There are lots of desires that we have, but we have to submit and subordinate those desires to the word of God, to the will of God, in obedience to his commands. And the Holy Spirit will help us as we look to him, as we allow him to control us, as we allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, as we delight ourselves in the Lord, then those desires will come from the Lord. And we'll do what God wants us to do in his time and according to his plan, in his way, that will ultimately fulfill his will. Now, I don't want to get mystical here when I say that. And sometimes that's what we do with the Holy Spirit. We get kind of mystical with it. And I don't want us to misunderstand what the scripture is saying or what I am trying to explain. But it's the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, God with us. As he indwells us, he desires for us to obey God, for us to keep his commandments, to grow in our love for him, to love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. So he is going to help us obey. He's going to comfort us because we need comfort. We need help. We need the peace of God. And he is going to, as we just read there as well, he is promised. He is the promise of God sealing us. For eternal redemption and glorification for eternity. And he teaches. He teaches us the word of God. He guides us into all truth. So each aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry gives us the help that we need to live a full and obedient life for the Lord. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's ministry was different. He was God, is God, but in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't indwell every believer all the time. The Holy Spirit would empower, would come upon and empower for specific areas of service and ministry. And we know that there were times where Samson was empowered by God for service, but then he would live fleshly and carnal. We know David, there would be times where David would be empowered by God, like when he killed Goliath, but there are 
was no Holy Spirit empowerment when he was committing adultery and conspiring to murder. And we're guilty of doing the same. Getting out from the Holy Spirit's control, out from under God's lordship and direction, and doing our own way, going our own way and doing our own thing, and we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to control us and to guide us into all truth. And that's when we get into sin. That's when we mess things up. So it's no wonder that Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 makes such an important point. In verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 3, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? So when we are sitting on the couch and we're tempted to be on our phone or on the TV or somewhere on the internet or on the media where we should not be, think about the fact that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And are we taking the temple of the Holy Spirit and putting it into a temple of idols and adultery and immorality? Paul actually uses that to speak to the fact that we should flee fornication because adultery and morality is taking the temple of God and joining it with idolatry, with immorality. And God says the temple of God should never be joined with idols, with immoral sins. It's a reminder to us that as we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that we're not to have our temple in places where it doesn't belong, including our eyes and our ears, our feet and our hands. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Or be careful, little eyes, what you see. Or be careful, little feet, where you go. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Or be careful, little hands, what you do. Eyes, what you see. Ears, what you hear. Feet, where you go. Simple little children's song with some very good application. Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We must live Holy Spirit-filled lives. And when we do, the world is impacted for Christ. God is glorified. The gospel goes forth. And lives are changed. And ultimately, we honor the Lord with our lives and we please Him. And as He honors and blesses in return, that blessing may not be here on this earth. That blessing may be in heaven where we take those rewards, we take those blessings, we take those crowns and we place them at the feet of Christ and we worship him. And we do so in his presence that the Holy Spirit promised as he indwells us and as we live a Holy Spirit filled life, we look forward to that day when in his presence, physically in his presence in a glorified body, in a resurrected body, we will praise his name and bring glory to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that the Holy Spirit has come, that he indwells us. We thank you, Lord, for the practical applications that help us to remember that as the temple of the Holy Spirit, we're to live in such a way that we bring honor and glory to your name, that we are not our own, that we are bought with a price. And we're to glorify you with our soul, with our body, with our spirit, with our body. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, that, Lord, you have not left us comfortless, that, Lord, you guide us and teach us according to the truth of the word of God. 
Help us, Lord, to live spirit-controlled lives that we might honor and glorify your name. Lord, if there's someone here who does not know you as their Savior, the Holy Spirit is not indwelling them because they never repented of their sins and placed their faith and trust in Christ and his finished work on the cross and resurrection. Lord, may today we pray that, Lord, they will turn from their sin and turn to you in saving faith. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll look up this way, and as Jake comes, he'll lead us in...